Well, you uh, did not surprise me this morning. Um, you're uh, the church that I, I thought you were. I've uh, uh, been told already that there's really no need in taping this for you folks at home um, because I'm invisible this morning. You can't be seen. Uh, so there's no use in that. Um, don't think it works exactly that way. My daughters will tell you camo is a color. Um, I uh, just want to greet those of you who are just now joining us and uh, will be joining us online and welcome you to the service this morning. We're grateful that you're joining us here uh, today. And as I shared with our church earlier, this is not a Halloween costume either. Uh, but the, the really uh, interesting part to me was uh, the fact that uh, I only had two people even say anything about the camo this morning. Uh, and one of them was along the lines of, did you get your deer this morning? You know, so uh, that tells you something about uh, who we are. And if you look around, I'm not the only one here in camo this morning. Uh, when I came to uh, this church a long time ago, 21 years ago, um, I was a suit wearing preacher. I thought that's what you were supposed to do. And they told me that they weren't that kind of church and I needed to dress down a little. So then I went to slacks and tie and uh, that didn't go either. They said, no, you're still too dressed up after about a month of that. And uh, finally, I got down to blue, blue jeans and boots and I, I am really comfortable there. So I found my perfect fit and really in the church. And uh, that's kind of where I stayed ever since. And so uh, I was not surprised this morning at the lack of comments about the, my attire. Uh, but I did wear it for a reason. Uh, modern firearm deer season starts this next week, you know. And so this is something that's on my mind about this time of year. Kind of like football's on Mike's mind right now because that's what he does. He's in that season. And... Uh, you know, this is what we put on when we go into uh, the woods, right? Okay. But the law says that we can't hunt modern firearm in this because it's too dangerous. Because people don't identify their targets, I guess. And so we have to wear one of these. Now, I don't know about you, but come on. Realistically, does this not defeat the purpose of camo? <laughs> I mean, so I, I ask myself every year in modern firearm season... Why in the world do I buy anything camo, right? I mean, I should just buy orange. It's kind of nice. It's warmer here. So, yeah, there you go. Uh, little less effective. I like to hunt. Yeah, I, could, I guess I could say I love to hunt. I have to be careful with that because that may be an overstatement. But I like to hunt. I've been hunting since I was a boy. Some of my best memories are, are with my dad out hunting. Um, I guess I could say I'm a hunter, uh, but that really doesn't define me. Now, I want you to think about that for a minute. It doesn't define me. Hunting could come and go in my life, and it really wouldn't make a big difference. Matter of fact, it, uh, it kind of slipped a, a little bit to the wayside when COVID hit last year. Didn't even know if we were going to get into the woods. There have been years where the fire uh, danger has been so high that we haven't been able to get into the woods. And uh, that didn't just wreck my world. I'm not defined, I think, by hunting. I'm not saying, though, that a person couldn't define themselves by something like hunting. Have you ever known anybody that defined themselves with something like that? I have. They had the uh, mounts on their walls to be able to prove it, too. Uh, they had spent 
an awful lot of time, energy, effort, and money on hunting. And really, literally, it defined their lives. They worked at a job so that they could go hunting. Um, they were heavily invested in hunting. And I've known more than one of these individuals who, in every facet of it, they have just uh, expanded <coughs> and, <coughs> and tried to jump into it with excellence. They have the the freezer storage things. Uh, what are they called? I wrote it in my notes. I guess I should look at it. But the meat lockers at their houses for storing their elk and their deer. They've got all of the processing stuff. They've got secret recipes for how to make everything in the world that has to do with the processing. I mean, uh, where does the list go? Or where does it end? Uh, you know these people. They drive the four by fours. Their closet's full of camos. They also don't like greeners who try to take away their hunting. They don't like politicians who want to take away their guns because that's going to affect their hunting as well. They have, most of them have mixed emotions about game wardens. They would love for there to be some management of the wildlife because that stewardship is important to them. But they feel like the state does a pretty poor job of that and that uh, uh, they're not so happy with the way that takes place. And so they kind of have mixed emotions there. All right. All of that said, I'm just asking us to think for a minute about the stuff that really defines us. And I don't know that even out of two weeks in the year, hunting really defines me. So what is it that defines you? I sat and visited with... Uh, we have a lot of military people in our church. And I sat and visited um, with uh, one of our Marines this last week. And had a really long conversation. Uh, I probably overstayed my welcome. I had three cups of coffee. And so that means I had about a two and a half hour visit. Hey, but you keep filling my cup. I'm going to assume you want me to stay. Okay. I was over at uh, Jean's the other day. And uh, half a cup was gone and she poured it down the sink. I understand, you know, what that means. And so I moved on, you know. Uh, but I measure your desire for me to be there based upon... The, the coffee, okay? So I'm sorry, I made you the brunt of a joke there. Uh, but I visited with this Marine for three hours, and he told me this extremely long, drawn-out story that I loved listening to about a couple of guys in the Marines. One of them was a bona fide Aryan, you know, one of these guys that was, you know what an Aryan is, right? They have a lot of love for other races, uh, you know, uh, none at all. And so... He was a, uh, in stature, Jacob uh, described him. He's the Marine I was talking to. I told him I'm going to quote him this morning. He's not here because his kids are sick. And you missed that if you're just tuning in online. And I told him he should be here because he wrote this morning's sermon. But at any rate, maybe he'll listen online. But he told me about this guy and uh, just his attitude. And he was very detailed about it as he came into the Marines. And then he told me about another guy who was a black guy, and he had all of the associations that he was, and I don't remember, but uh, what Jacob said he was involved in and so forth. But he talked to me again about his character traits. And these two were the kind of thing that were going to mix like oil and water. And that's what happened. 
And he talked about their pilgrimage together. And he talked about the fights that they had on occasions, the damage they did to each other, the way they were just at it like a cat and a dog. And he said he watched a transition take place over three years that I thought, this is amazing. But it really hit me as to what uh, the truth, I think, of where I want us to go this morning really ends up. They both, over a period of time, came to see themselves and define themselves no longer by the stuff they brought with them when they came to the Marines, but they began to define themselves as Marines. And Jacob began to tell me what that definition was. I, I wanted him here because he can just spout this stuff out like a Boy Scout can do a Boy Scout pledge. You know what I'm saying? I mean, he, he's a Marine too. You know, like they say, once a Marine, always a Marine. Uh, I'm not. I'm not in that fraternity. That's great. I got enough of my own hunting fraternities, all right? I mean, we, we all have our things. But he, as he went through this, and this mindset changed, then all of a sudden their allegiances began to change and their enemies began to change. The way they defined everything changed. And he said, as they owned that more and more, guess what happened? They became uh, comrades and friends. Okay, we talk about it all the time. And we say, it's important to know who you are in Christ Jesus. If you don't understand and define the definition of how you define yourself and the significances of that, then I have yet to be able to somehow extrapolate for you this truth in such a way that it can make the difference in your life that it needs to. It may be, I think the most significant thing that we can know is to have a proper concept of God. And I'm not going to wedge off of that. I'm not going to hedge there. Because I believe if you don't see God as He really is, you're never going to see anything in this world as it really is. Uh, everything's going to be skewed. But as soon as you look and see who God is, I think the next thing that we need to be seeing is who we are in relationship to that God. And we need to define ourselves by that God. And if we define ourselves as God defines us, it is going to impact everything. Everything. It can't help it. And if we're lacking in some area or another, maybe we're still in the three-year process of becoming a Marine. We're not there yet. Because that definition is going to affect everything. Our enemies, our friends, how we relate to our comrades, it will affect everything. Now, in this passage of Scripture that we're looking at today, I believe that's what Paul is talking about here. He says in Ephesians 6, 13, Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after having done everything, to stand. Stand firm with the belt of truth around your waist, with a breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your, we've already talked about those the last two weeks, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. Your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In the King James, it says this, and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. You know, Paul says we're to armor up, we're to put on this armor of God. When I'm going hunting, that's pretty easy to do. I get up in the morning and I know, okay, let's put on 
what we need to do to go hunting today. And I check the weather and I know what I want to wear and so forth. It's, it's an armoring up of, so to speak, for the task that I'm going to do that day. I'm dressing for the occasion. I wish that it was that simple with the armor of God, that we could go to the closet and just pick it out of the closet and put it on that simply. But that's the picture that Paul is painting for us here. We're to every morning armor up with this stuff. This is the cloak that we're to put on. These, this is the garb that we're to put on. I mean, you watch a you watch a soldier get ready for his battle that day, and you see him putting on all this garb. Uh, you know who he is, what he is, and what his purposes are that day. Paul's most likely in a prison when he wrote this, and uh, he's uh, he's looking very likely at a prison guard that's standing there, and he's seeing him in all of this attire. And the imagery that I just shared with you is probably what he's thinking. Boy, that dude got up this morning with purpose and he armored up. He put something on with purpose for what he was going to do that day. And Paul took that picture and he said, you know, as Christians, we need to put some things on with purpose every day, too. We need to pick them up and we need to put them in our lives. And he started with that belt of truth. And then he talked about that breastplate of righteousness. And now he's talking about feet that are shod, that are shod with the gospel of peace. Um, Footwear is pretty important, you know. I've got some footwear on this morning. Can you get that, Michael? Okay. Well, that's really the reason I wore this whole garb this morning, okay? Because this is not normal Sunday morning shoe attire, okay? Um, believe it or not, those cost more than all the rest of my outfit together. Matter of fact, I could probably buy six of these for what I paid for that. I've got some guns I carry into the field that cost less than that, you know. Why? It, it, would you consider uh, that to be such an important part of your attire? Paul says his feet, his feet are shod, or, or to be shod with the preparation of the gospel. The peace, the gospel of peace. Looking at a Roman soldier, a Roman soldier had his feet, uh, his footwear on that included a, a kind of a little brace around the shin, but it also, it, it covered the bottom of the sole, but it also had a kind of a spike in it so that it was uh, a lot like the stuff I wore as a kid. When I, I played football, we had plastic cleats. Do they still have any kind of cleat at all, Mike? Yeah. Uh, when I played, uh, uh, when I was Playing golf, in the old days, I had a, a steel cleat, a little pin, and, and then later on it became plastic, and it was a circle and different thing, but it, there was a cleat there. Uh, when I played uh, baseball, it was the same way. We had a, uh, a little kind of almost triangular circle metal cleat on the end of that shoe, and uh, um, you had to be careful when you slid into base that you didn't get somebody with those, but uh, we had cleats on our shoes. Why? Because it made a difference in our footing. It made a difference in where we could stand. Can you understand at all why a Roman soldier might want to have some kind of a cleat on the bottom of his shoes? I would think that if you slipped and fell on a wet battlefield or a rainy battlefield or a sandy or a muddy battlefield, you'd be in trouble. And the more possibility you had to stand firm, the better off you were going to be. If your feet slipped and you fell... On the way down, you're pretty vulnerable. And if you fall all the way to the ground, you're going to be very vulnerable on a battlefield, right? 
So that would be an important part of what he had on. And I tell you what, you can have a very, very miserable day hunting if you don't have the right attire on your feet. Because up here, you're going to get wet. You're going to, well, you, you hunters know what I'm talking about. And if you don't have the right stuff there, it's miserable. And not only miserable, but for a, a Roman soldier, it could be life-threatening. Now, if you put this in perspective of what Paul might have been looking at sitting there in a prison cell, and now he's saying to you, mm, you know what, we need to, our feet need to be shod with the gospel of peace. What's he talking about? That must be something pretty important. It must be pretty valuable. It maybe has more to do with our standing than anything else, what we have on our feet. And he says it's the gospel of peace. You know, I, I heard it said in seminary, it said, you never really own something until you can articulate it. It's not yours until you know how to say it, to express it in words. So let's talk about this gospel of peace for just a minute. Let's just see if you can articulate it. We've gone over this a hundred million times. I go over it in some fashion every Sunday that I preach. It's a rare Sunday that I don't hit this. I've taught it in classes. It's kind of been my bread and butter to be a, a, a pastor. If, if, if I get to heaven and the people that I served in congregations do not know the gospel of peace and how to share that with a lost and dying world, I will have felt like I am an extreme failure. So let's go through that. Let's see and grade me this morning. All right. Let's talk about the gospel of peace. Tell me what you know about God. Okay. God loves you. Okay, I had two people that said that. How come I didn't have the whole church in unison going, God loves you? I ask you, what do you know about God? Yes, God loves you. Absolutely, he says it in his word. Greater love has no man than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. That's our Jesus talking about his love for us. And for God so loved the world that he sent that Jesus. He gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. God loves you. Now, because God loves you, he wants to pour some things, good things your way. Give me a couple of those things. Eternal life and... Oh, and you're saying it in unison, in harmony. Wow, I love that. So yeah, if you're following the outline that I've taught you, this is where we're at. God loves you. He wants you to have abundant life and he wants you to have eternal life. He says in John 10, 10, I've come that they might have life and have it abundantly. And then he contrasts that with the devil who's come to steal, kill, and to destroy anything that would be life. And then he promises us home in heaven with him forever. That's what he wants for us all to receive. Abundant life is just walking in life here with God. That's it. And I'm not going to do the relational illustration again this morning, but you understand. That's when life gets good. You get to do it with Jesus. You get to do it with God. And he doesn't want it to stop when you die. He wants it to go forever and ever with him in eternity. Now, why don't we get to reap the benefits of all of God's great love in our lives? Sin. Man is a sinner, aren't we? 
And that sin puts a barrier between us and God so that the things that He wants to pour out on us in love, we can't even receive. You ever had a kid like that? Or you just loved them to death and would really like to pour some things out on them and bless them in some big ways, but you know you can't? Because if you did, it's only going to lead to something that's a mess. Sin separated us from God. It, it, it caused such a barrier between us and God because of His holiness that He really can't let us come in to be a part of His eternal kingdom and not be just. That wouldn't be right. So man is a sinner, and we won't go over all this in detail, but he is a sinner by, first of all, what? Nature. And secondly, by, yeah, that means you inherited something from Adam. A sin nature, you were born in sin. You weren't born in perfect fellowship with God like Adam was in the garden. And that you then sinned by choice. Anybody here not ever sinned by choice? Okay, so we're all on the equal playing field there. And the Bible says all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And it also tells us that the consequences of that sin is what? Death. Eternal separation from God. That's what it's going to be. Abundant life is to get to do life with God. Death is to have no life with God at all. And uh, that's going to end up eventually in eternal hell, separated from God. So we got this beautiful picture of a God who loves us and wants us to have abundant life and eternal life. And then we have over here this man who's sinner by nature and by choice and cannot receive the inheritance that God wants him to have. And there's nothing that he can do to fix that. And we try with good works and all that sort of thing, but there's nothing we can do to fix it. And that cost and consequence is extreme. But this great, big, loving God looked down from heaven and he said to us, I want you to be a part of my life and eternal kingdom. So I've got a way. And he made a provision for our sinfulness so that we could still walk with God. And that provision was Jesus. And Jesus did three things, right? He, he lived, he died, and rose again. That should have been a little more resounding. It's, how come it's all of our young adults that have this down? Is it just our old adults are shy? You know, Jesus did three things. He lived, he died, he rose again. And all of those are significant. The life that he lived, he lived in perfection. He did not sin. The Bible says in Ezekiel, the soul that sins, it must die. He did not have to die because he lived a perfect life. He died on the cross for our sins. That is the second thing. Uh, the soul that sins, it must die. Nobody, for me, when I look at Jesus... There's, a, there's an important point that I think we all need to grab onto. Um, that's a picture of God the Father, but it's also something that we get, we get so focused on. Well, this is where the forgiveness of sin is because he paid the price for our sin that he did not owe. And so he paid that ransom. But there's another something here I want you to see. And this is not something I look for everybody to really come up with when they present the gospel, but it's this. Nobody took his life from him. He said, greater love had no man than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. 
And Jesus' life wasn't taken from him. He could have called ten legions of angels and they would have come and gotten him. He went to that cross and he paid the price on that cross because he loved you and he loved me. He was a, an illustration, the living love of God walking among us in human, human flesh that we could see what we're supposed to be, but we could also see what God was and how God felt toward all of us. So he didn't, and I've heard, had people talk sometimes about this and they, they get hung up on this fact that God did this. God did it, yes, but Jesus chose it too. And don't, don't, don't miss that, don't lose that. So as we have a loving Savior and a loving God, and there three really are in one when you talk about the Holy Spirit in there too. And so he gave his life, I like to say it this way, he gave his life a ransom for our sin so that we then could be set right with the Heavenly Father. He paid a debt he didn't owe. And then he rose again on the third day. And the resurrection is huge because the resurrection is the validation of everything that he did. I mean, if he hadn't risen again, then how would we know the claims that he'd made about salvation were even true? We wouldn't, because that would have been a lie, the other would have been a lie. But his resurrection is the thing that validated and changed everything. And now we can trust because he came back from the dead as he said that he would, that he also was the propitiation for our sin as he said he would, as he said he was, and that we can through him have life eternal. Now our response to that is just simply in humility, repentance, and faith to come to him and to receive the gift that he has for us. There's nothing we do in that process. He's done it all. We just receive the gift. And you do that by turning from sin, self, and Satan to follow him and just calling upon the name of the Lord. It's just that simple. Now, you don't have to articulate it like I did, but can you articulate that? Do you own that gospel of peace? Do you own that gospel of peace in such a way that you believed it and have received it for your own life so that you know that you're at peace with God. The gospel of peace, first of all, provides peace between you and God. And when you get that right, I'm no longer estranged from God. He's not my enemy. I'm in a place now where he can bless me. Mike prayed in our prayer this morning when we prayed together. He said, Lord, I pray we'll do something today that will make you smile. And I said, I like that. You know, I said, I, I don't often think I make God smile. And he said, he said essentially the same thing, but he said, you know, I have kids and I love them, but they don't always make me smile. And I thought, well, that's right. I am his. He loves me. And there's something about me. I think that there are days when, <coughs> when he looks down and we make him smile because we're his. And nobody can make you smile like your kids can, right? Just doing their dumb, cute, stupid things. They make you smile. God the Father loves us, created this way for us to have peace with Him. Are you planted in that? And do you have the spikes in your shoes? Are you certain about some things? Are you certain that He loves you? Are you certain that you're forgiven? Are you certain in the decision you've made to follow Christ, you've humbly come before Him and you've called upon His name, asked Him to be your Lord and Savior? Are you certain 
about the decision you made to receive that gift, that's the place that we're to stand. Has the devil ever assaulted you or attacked you and tried to make you think that you weren't one of God's? Are you certain about the fact that you're a child of God? He tells us that in the Word of God. You're joined over to Christ. You are, you are in redemption. You become a child of God. And you can approach the throne of grace and talk to Him. The Word is Abba, Father. You can approach Him with that kind of intimacy. Do you feel that way? Listen, there are times the old devil will come along because of this, that, and the other, and you'll be standing on one foot wondering if you're even a part of the kingdom of God or not, right? You ever been there doubting your salvation? That's a dangerous place to be. What kind of a force are you going to be in the world if you're doubting at that point? You need to be standing, feet shod. You got those spikes deep down in the truth of God's word and his salvation so that you're standing in that. And John said, I've written these things to you in order that you may know that you have eternal life. Do you know you have eternal life? Are you standing in that place? I think we need that strong confirmation every morning when we get up that says, this is whose I am. This is who I am. And this now becomes the defining thing in my life. More than anything else, this becomes the defining thing in my life. I think it's an important piece to put on first. To put on first, to go over it every day. Because if we don't, we might let this be the defining thing that day. We might let something else be the defining thing that day. So every day before we do anything else, we should really start putting... You know, I mean, shoes get on pretty quick before I leave. Those need to be, they need to be put on. We need to be anchored in. That needs to be the defining thing of our life. Who we are in Christ Jesus. I'm a child of God. And then we got to understand what it is to be a child of God. And then we'll start living that way. One of my favorite stories is uh, about hunting stories is uh our dear brother Rich, one year, decided he had to have a pair of new hunting boots. And so he went out and he bought him some. Uh, I think he got them online, I don't know. But the way I understand it, they were pricey hunting boots. And when the bill came through, his wife was like, what are you doing? And he's like, I got to have hunting boots. Okay. I mean, they were even more expensive than... What I'm wearing, okay? Rich has money, so he spent money, too much money, okay, on his boots, all right? That's his wife's words, not mine, okay? So, hunting season opens, and Rich hasn't gone hunting yet, but Rich does live in the country, and occasionally things do come by out there that he can take a shot at. And that morning, while he was doing his breakfast routine and so forth, before he even got out to go hunting, Guess what walked into the back 10 acres down there? So Rich grabs his gun in his bathrobe, heads out the door, going to walk down there and get a shot at this deer. And before he can get out the door, his wife yells at him and stops and says, Don't you dare go out there unless you put those boots on. Put your boots on. Don't you dare go out there till you put your boots on. 
They're the most expensive part of your attire. They cost Jesus Christ his life. And if you can stand in that all day long and let it define you, you'll live a different Christian life. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, I thank you, Lord, for this day, for the opportunity again to just look at how we're supposed to armor up. We're just going over, Lord, the things that we need to put on every day. Oh, Lord, that we could consciously get up every day and say, ah, here's the belt. Here's the breastplate. Here's the truth. Here's the righteousness. And here is the gospel that has saved my soul and defined my life. And walk out that day, really, Lord, prepared for life. Thank you for the confidence that is ours in Christ Jesus, for the spirit that testifies to that truth in our life, for the word of God that makes it so easy to understand that we've been able to reach out and receive and take the things of life. I praise you, Lord, that I am a child of God and that I'm a joint heir with Christ Jesus and that I can come to your throne and call you Father. Lord, how dare we not take advantage of that every single day? We love you. Speak to our hearts now with your grace, your gentleness, your kindness, your compassion. And with that unction and that pushing that we need, Lord, to move into this more powerfully. We ask it for Jesus' sake. His kingdom come in our lives. His will being done here in our lives as it is in heaven. Amen. If you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you've never walked into that salvation I talked to you about. Man, don't live here today without doing that. Come talk to me as we sing. Talk to me after the service. Make an appointment this week. Whatever it takes. Step into the grace of God for your life.